and welcome to Online Church here at Cassidy Church. And if you are just joining us, we are in our second week of a three-week sermon series titled Potluck Faith. If you saw us last week or if you need a little refresher, we heard from Pastor Suzanne and she talked about how we as the body of Christ, as a body of believers, can come together and each provide something different, similar to a potluck meal. And next week, we're hearing from a good friend of mine, actually, her name is Caitlin, and she's going to be talking about generational faith how those of the older generations can bring up those of the younger generations to play a part in this community and in God's plan. So now this week, we are going to be talking about how faith in God and faith in our prayers plays a part in our community of faith and in the plans of God. So it starts with a question, and it's simply that, have you ever noticed that there is a lot of heartbreak in the world? And you don't have to think or look too long and hard before you can realize the answer to that is yes, because maybe you're hearing the aftermath of a war or of a shooting and that breaks your heart. Maybe it's closer to home and you're hearing about family members that are no longer getting along, or maybe you're someone that got in a fight with a family member and you don't know how you're going to mend that relationship. Maybe in our community, you're hearing about how kids might not have a toothbrush, or they might not have clean clothes to wear, or a meal to get them through the weekend. Maybe it's simply that you had a plan, and you'd worked long and hard at it for years and years, and then it just didn't work out, and your heart breaks. When we go through this life, no matter what form it comes in, we are going to experience heartbreak. Now today, we're going to be looking at a guy from the Old Testament, his name is Nehemiah, and he experiences heartbreak, but what's so incredible about him and his story and his faith, and what we can learn from is the way that he responds to heartbreak, the way that he responds to the things of life getting hard and being difficult and causing him distress. Because we as believers, we are called to be people of gratitude and generosity and joy and peace. Yet so often, Christians, we find ourselves being just as grumpy or disheartened or angry or broken as the rest of the world. So we find ourselves at this crossroads. And another question, how do we as believers in God, who's a God of goodness and mercy and power and might, how do we as believers in that God experience heartbreak, yet still remain hopeful and compassionate? And that's the question that we're going to be looking at today. See, you can think about being heartbroken in a couple of ways. So you can break two ways. The first way is you can break apart. Now, there is a very fancy gem slash rock called a geode, and I'm sure you've heard of it, and this is what they start looking like. So it's just like a sphere. And if I were to take this hammer and just completely smash this geode, it wouldn't really look very pretty afterwards. It'd be breaking apart. It'd fall into lots of little pieces. You wouldn't even recognize it as a geode if you tried, and you wouldn't really want it for much. That's breaking apart. And when we break apart, when something in the world breaks our heart, this is what we end up being like. If I were a shattered geode, it's because you don't feel like you can pick up the pieces. You don't feel like it's even worth trying. You become disheartened. But there's a second way that we can break. And if we're not breaking apart, we can break open. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, because just like I could break this geode apart, I can also break it open. If you break it in half, you begin to see the inside and the beauty that's there. And similar to when we're broken in a situation, how this geode is broken and the light gets in and catches the light and it looks so much more beautiful and has this capacity to catch our eye. When we are broken apart, when we allow ourselves to be broken apart, God's beauty shines through us and it's beautiful in a way that we can never do on our own. 
So that's our prayer for today, is that when we break, that we ask God to help us to break open rather than apart. And that's where I got today's message title, which is Break Open, Not Apart. It's not there on the screen. We'll keep going. Oh, it is. Thank you, Dylan. Shout out to AV people all over the world. They're amazing. So we have our message title, Break Open, Not Apart. And no matter what goes wrong in life, because things are going to go wrong, we don't want to let ourselves become disheartened and bitter by that. We want ourselves to break open, to see that God can work through those things and make something more beautiful than we could ever do on our own. So let's pray. God, as we dive into your word today, and as we study the story of Nehemiah, may we find new ways to live for you and new ways to see the work that you are doing and ask that we would partner with you. So we trust that we're going to hear from you in a special and real and personal way today. And we look forward to that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are going to look at the story of Nehemiah. And before we get into that, there are three things that you need to know about him. So the first thing is that he was a guy in the Old Testament. So he lived about 400 years before the birth of Jesus. And he has a whole book of the Bible that's titled, titled Nehemiah, and that is his story. So the second thing you should know is that the Jewish people were actually not all living in the promised land. They were actually in exile because they had stopped faithfully obeying God and God had allowed them to be overtaken by various surrounding nations. So Nehemiah is living in Susa, which is actually a citadel in the Babylonian empire, so the Persians. And he was working there as a cupbearer for the king Artaxerxes I. So what this tells us about Nehemiah is, first of all, that he's not in the promised land, but also he is working as a cupbearer. So he is not like a church worker. He's not a holy person. He's just an ordinary guy. But what we also know is that since he's a cupbearer, he is a man of good, trustworthy quality of integrity, because that means the king can trust him to be that person that taste tests the food and the drink before he gets it to know that it's not poisoned. And I don't know about you, but if that was my job, I would definitely want some good life insurance, but that's another point. So if Nehemiah is this person that is the cupbearer of the king, not only is the king entrusting him to give him that food and to taste it beforehand, but also Nehemiah would have been in lots of the king's war meetings and he would hear all this information. So he is someone that is trusted. Nehemiah is someone that we can look to as a leader, a planner, and just an upright man of God all around. So where we find Nehemiah at the very beginning of his story is with his heartbreaking. So Nehemiah ends up hearing about the condition of the city of Jerusalem, which is one of the most important cities to the Jewish people. And he hears about the poor condition of it and it breaks his heart. So we're going to look at that story real quick. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah in the month of Kilsev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that's Nehemiah, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So immediately, Nehemiah has a broken heart because of this. And the first thing that we see him doing is grieving. And that's the first of three important things that I want us to take away from his story. So Nehemiah grieves and we might not realize why he grieves at first because the walls of a city might not seem too important to us today, but you can equate that to the power and protection and the, like the pride of a city. So it's like if I were to say that Ozark 
did not have a police force and electricity, and we didn't know when it was going to have either of those things again. If you heard that, that your city didn't have those things, you'd be like, oh, wow, we need to get that fixed. So that's the place that we find Nehemiah. He's grieving. So it's important for us to learn to grieve because if we don't accept and acknowledge the feelings that we're feeling, those emotions that God made us to feel, then we're never going to be able to get past them and then to begin to do good work for God. We can't ignore things and expect them to get, get, like, to get better. Another example is like in a relationship, no matter who it's with, you can't expect to ignore a relationship and hope that you'll get through something difficult in it or that you'll see growth in it. If a child or a pet has an accident on the carpet, you can't ignore it and hope that it'll get cleaned up. If something catches on fire or if there's water damage, you can't ignore that and think that it'll just go away. I think you're starting to see the point. So we can't just ignore things and expect them to get better. And this is the place that we see Nehemiah acting with a lot of emotional intelligence here. He's recognizing those emotions. And it can be hard for us to do this because too often in myself, I see that I will get really sad or upset by something and I'll just try to shove it down and not want to talk about it. When in reality, the moment that we're hit with something that breaks our heart, whether it is news or a family situation or something that we hear a friend going through, when we get those emotions, we should bring that to God like Nehemiah did. He fasted and prayed for multiple days. When we get sad, we need to go to God and say, God, that makes me sad. Or God, I'm really angry about that. What do I do? Help. Like, you can scream it to God. You can whisper it to God. But say those emotions to God. That is the first step that Nehemiah does. And that transitions us into the second step. We see Nehemiah praying. And he prays from beginning to end of his whole story. And he's a prayer warrior. He inspires me. It's amazing. Because even when his heart is breaking and he's grieving, Nehemiah is praying. But we see prayer come up so many other times in his story. When he is threatened, when he is successful, we see Nehemiah pray when he's asked questions to give the right answer and to be guided in that. So Nehemiah praying is huge. And we're going to look at the very first time that we see Nehemiah praying something very specifically. So we're going to continue reading right after his heart was broken. Then I, being Nehemiah, said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. So that's like a crazy long prayer by Nehemiah. And there's a lot going on there. The first main point of that is just that he is interceding. So he is asking for forgiveness, not only on his behalf, but on behalf of all the people in the nation of Israel, all the sins that they have committed, ones that he doesn't even know about. And that's something that we're going to get back to at the end of this message. And I'm super excited. 
But we see that after this point, that's when we find out that Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. So the first things we hear about him is that he's a man of God, that he's someone that's heartbroken over the people of God being scattered. And then from there, we continue in to the rest of his story. Now, the dominant theme, the main point I want us to get out today, like if you don't take away anything else from today, is this. So we should have prayer as our first line of offense, not our last line of defense. And this is what we see Nehemiah demonstrate, because so often we get distracted by things, or we try to do something on our own, or we think about prayer as something that we can go to when nothing else has worked, no matter what the situation is. But we think of prayer as something like, well, I got to go to prayer now because nothing else has been working. God, please help. But what if we changed our mindset and had prayer as something that we went to immediately, no matter what the situation was? If it's a bad day at work, pray about it. If you have to make a decision about what you do with the rest of your day, pray about it. If a friend comes to you and they're telling you about something hard in life, pray about it right there, right then, even with them. When we see prayer as something that we should go to first, that's when the game changes. And that's when we see God begin to dictate our paths and our decisions and our actions. And we see so much growth from there. So in Nehemiah's story, we see him praying all the time and we see him interceding for people. We also see that he is a person that has to interact with the rest of the world around him. And that's why it's so crucial that he has prayer as an action that he takes quickly and just that he loves to pray, that he lives a lifestyle of prayer. And the next thing that we see is that he goes into the courts of the king that he works for. And he has an encounter with that king. And prayer, again, makes a place in this story. And it's important for us to look at it because he is in a pretty intense situation. And we'll get into why in just a second. But returning to the story, so this is chapter 2 of Nehemiah. It says, in the, months, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sad, sadness of heart. I'm so sorry, guys. I just choked on camera. I hope you laughed at home about that. <laughs> I was very much afraid. And we're going to pause here. So why is Nehemiah afraid? This is because in the presence of a king, just like I was afraid for my voice to do something bad, I was afraid. And luckily, this is not a fear for me. But if you mess up in the presence of a king, if you are sad or if you choke on your words and the king is offended enough by that, like you could be outed. You could lose your job. You could lose your life if you offend the king enough. So Nehemiah was very much afraid, but he said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. So Nehemiah prayed a split second prayer right before he answered the king. He was standing right before him and he prayed to himself. Like that's something that we can do. We can pray to God and say, hey, God, help me with this. God, please help me have the right words in that sort of moment. And Nehemiah said then, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. So Nehemiah, along with prayer and God's guidance, was able to have the boldness and the insight to know the right answer and to have favor from God and the king in this time. And this leads us into the third thing that Nehemiah does is that he doesn't just know his emotions and pray, but he gets to work. We're going to have some visual demonstrations here showing us what this is like. And we're going to read one more section from the story of Nehemiah. 
And we're going to see just how powerful it is for us to have prayer guiding the things that we do and guiding the plans that God has for us. So we have a story where Nehemiah is going back to um, Jerusalem and he's working on building the wall. So we have Jacob here and he is going to be acting as one of the workers that is building the wall for Nehemiah. So we have a little toy screwdriver. It's actually really cool. Like I love this thing. So toy screwdriver and your supplies for building the wall. So he's going to be building a wall on the circle table in a circle or in a line, however he wants to build the wall. That's up to him. And he's going to be working on building this. And then we're going to read the story real quick. And we're going to begin catching ourselves up with what's happening for Nehemiah. So as he's building that, we're going to read real quick. They all plotted together. This is the people that don't want the wall to be built. So Nehemiah has resistance and he prays about it. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to the work. So they have a plot to stop the wall. Then the Jews who lived there near them came and told us this 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When the enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall and those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. So we have Jacob faithfully working for Nehemiah. Look at that wall. He's building it so fast. So he's building this wall, but, and I am going to act as someone that does not want the wall built. So while he's doing that, I realize that I could stop him because he's so busy working. I can just come up and do a little whack. Ah, no more wall for you. Ha ha ha. But Nehemiah prayed about this situation. And what they did after the prayer is that they didn't stop the work, but they posted people that would help protect the workers. So this is where we have Suzanne, who's also going to help us coming in. And she is going to be armed with a pretty cool spear to represent what she's doing. And she's going to stand with her back facing towards Jacob. So now if I come and I want to try to stop Jacob, oh no, I can't. See, Suzanne's here blocking me and she has that cool grimace and it's like, it scares me and intimidates me. And this is what was happening to the people that wanted to stop the work. And all the while, while this is happening, Jacob's attention doesn't even have to be divided. He can keep building that wall. Now, there's something really special about this, and we talked about it earlier. It's called intercession. So when Nehemiah prayed for other people that weren't even physically around him, he was interceding for them. And that's what Jesus does for us. When Jesus was on the cross, he was interceding. He was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He was praying for people that he didn't even necessarily need to pray for. And in this situation, we can find ourselves 
as intercessors, just like Christ and partnering with Christ. So you might not be able to be someone that goes on to like a workplace. Like you might not be able to go to another country and build a wall or to build a house or to make something for God. But if you are actively praying for someone, if you are pouring your heart out to God saying, God, make this broken situation better by my faith in you, make this right. Then you are like Suzanne. You are a prayer warrior. You are standing there with a spear helping to guard the jobs that are being done so that they can keep getting done. And then you are partnering with it in this way. There's a story from Billy Graham, and I want to read it exactly because it's powerful. And it's the last thing um, that we are going to focus on today. So thank you guys for your work. You can make your way off stage. You did amazing. So remembering that visual of the worker and the prayer warrior, the intercessor, we hear a story from Billy Graham who was talking to a missionary. And he said, a missionary and his family, he was recounting the story to others, missionary and his family who lived in a mission camp one night received a distressing news that an impending attack by a group of thieves was coming. They prayed for protection and nothing happened that night. A few months later, a man was brought into the mission, uh, the mission site's hospital, and he wanted to know if the mission camp had soldiers on duty that specific night a few months before. The man said that he was a member of a gang of thieves who had intended to rob and kill the missionaries, but they were afraid of the 27 soldiers that were surrounding the mission camp. Now, the missionary returned, confused by this story somewhat because they didn't have soldiers posted. And he then heard from a member of the church when he was sharing this with his home church, the member said, we had a prayer meeting that night and I took role. There were 27 of us present. So it's pretty crazy. Like I get, I get goosebumps sometimes when I read that story. Like that's, that's what was happening here. When we are praying for things that are going on in our world, our prayers are powerful and God hears those. There is absolutely a purpose for them. What if prayer was our first line of offense, not our last line of defense? And what if that is how we contributed in our potluck faith, contributed to the greater story that was happening? So that is all to say, like, no matter where you are watching this from, no matter what month of the year it is, no matter if you are at home or not right now, you can be praying for something. So we have so much going on in our community, so much going on in the world. If there is something that's come to mind during this message or that comes to mind later today, that comes to mind within this week, pray about it. The moment you think about it, even if it's just a short prayer, pray about that, ask other people to partner with you and see that when we turn to God, first and foremost, that he does begin to change things in our lives and in the world around us. So we're going to end this time with prayer and in the response time in the, the song that is after this, we can use that time to continue to pray and to worship God and to see what he puts on our hearts. So let's pray this together now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the good work that you do. And thank you that you have given us access to you through prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and dying on the cross for us and tearing the veil in the temple, showing that we have access right to God the Father through you. And thank you for your spirit that is in us. May we be moved and changed by this, God, because it's not about me or what I'm saying, but it's about the work that you have done, God, and the power that you display through us. So may we feel the weight of your glory and may we see the good that is possible through you because when we step into prayer, we step out of that realm of the world where things aren't possible and things are hopeless, but we step into your presence, God, where anything is possible. 
So help that to shake us, God. And help us to go into the rest of our lives with a new perspective, seeing that prayer is powerful and that you work through it. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name.